Support for WERU comes from Susan Bakley and Chris Marshall at the 13th Moon Center in Montville, offering shamanic healing, art from the heart, through art, therapy, and classes since 1985. More information is available at 13thmooncenter.net, all spelled out, or 589-3063. It's about 20 seconds before 20 seconds before the hour of 10 o'clock and Healthy Options is coming your way. Let's take a quick look at the weather. Mostly sunny, believe it or not, for the rest of the day. High of 38, 5 to 8 miles an hour winds. 28 tonight. We're looking for a little bit of snow Friday, Friday night, and Saturday could be 30% chance of precipitation. Stay tuned for Healthy Options. Good morning. I'm Rhonda Feynman, and this is the Healthy Options Program. January is National Radon Awareness Month, but to get a head start right now on this important issue, we have as our guest today, Kurt Johnson, who is extremely knowledgeable and passionate about the topic of indoor air quality. He's committed to educating the public about how our health is affected by the quality of our indoor air, and in particular, the dangers of everyday radon exposure in our homes which we may ignore, unfortunately, at our own peril. Kurt Johnson is the past president and current board member of the Maine Indoor Air Quality Council. He's a certified residential mechanical ventilation designer and installer through the Heating, Refrigeration, and Air Conditioning Institute of Canada. And Kurt Johnson is also the founder of Fresh Air Ventilation Systems, LLC. He's here with us by phone today on WERU, and I want to welcome you to Healthy Options, Kurt Johnson. Hi, Rhonda. Good morning. How are you? Great. Great to have you here. Um, so uh, just one quick thing. You're, re- you're, you're certified in Canada, but there is no certification for this in the United States? That's correct. Yep. <clears throat> Back uh, 12 years ago when I decided that uh, there was a need um, for somebody to understand ventilation and properly apply it specifically in our residential houses, um, I actually called up a number of manufacturers and tried to find out how you got trained. And basically what I got told is read the installation manual. And uh, I didn't think that was a very professional way to go about it. So I looked around and I found out about HRAI in Canada where they actually had come to the conclusion if somebody was going to design and install a system, they should know what they're doing. And they had a training class to actually train people on airflows pressures and how to effectively ventilate a space so it made sense for me to go up there and get that certification so that's great so you can bring that back and and we can ask you some questions about that and what it means here uh here in maine and and uh i guess in 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 around the world as well because i'm reading here about the uk and i'm Mm -hmm. and uh and these situations uh are are true everywhere. So what is radon and why should we, just starting there, uh, why should we be worried about it? So radon is is a naturally occurring gas. Uh, It's actually a breakdown component from uranium, which is found naturally in the ground in rocks. And as the uranium is actually breaking down and and getting, changing into smaller components, Radon gas is one of those things that breaks down into, and when it gets into the gas form, it because it, it's light, it comes up out of the ground and continues to be unstable. It's, it's got about a three-day half-life, and the danger is when we breathe in radon, it's kind of like breathing in radiation. Uh, when the radon breaks down inside of our lungs, it actually damages uh, lung cells, and some of those cells become mutated and become cancerous, and hence we have lung cancer. Um, and then it actually ends up breaking down and becoming stable in the, as, as lead. So oh. um, it's a naturally occurring element, and it's found all over the globe. Certain areas have higher levels uh, than others. In Maine, we actually have uh, a lot of it naturally in the ground. And that's because of uh, what Maine is made of geologically. That's, that's correct. That's yes. Correct. Yep. So there are a whole number of myths um, about it. Uh, I don't. I don't spend that much time in my basement. Um, I already have a radon monitor, therefore I'm always safe. You know, how do you address those kinds of uh, of questions? Well, it's radon is kind of challenging because it is invisible and you can't smell it. So um, unless you test for it, uh, there's really no way for you to know it's there. Um, 
it's not it's not a uh, a thing that's new. In fact, uh, back in the 1530s, uh, they noticed that miners uh, that were working in mines were were coming down with this thing they called the wasting disease, and it was suggested at the time that they actually ventilate the mines to to reduce the uh, the effect of whatever was causing it. And it was about 350 years later in Germany when they identified what the disease was, and it was lung cancer. Um, so it's, it's not a new thing. Um, but the difficult thing is knowing it's there. Um, in fact, in, in our country, uh, it was kind of found out to be a, a hazard residentially by accident. Um, down in New York, they were building a nuclear power plant, and they had the sensing equipment trying to sense radiation. Uh, they had it up and working before the plant was actually functional, and one of the workers was coming to work in the morning, and he was setting off the sensors. Huh. And they, they thought at first that something was wrong with the sensors, and then they realized this one guy was coming in, and he was, quote-unquote, radioactive coming to work. And they then investigated and found out that in his house there was so much radon that he was actually picking it up and carrying it to work with him. Wow, let's just think about that for a moment. If anyone has is living in denial about radon in there, can I, is it only in the basements or is it? Well, so so you have to look at the the physics of it. Radon is the heaviest gas, okay? So it's going to migrate up out of the ground because it's heavier than the earth. There are forces within every building and certainly within a house that may help pull it out of the ground. There's some speculation on that, but. Um, cement is not a barrier to it. It actually is an atom, so it can actually come right through cement. It'll, it'll come through in the, the easiest way it can. Um, but then because it's a heavy gas, it tends to want to stay lower in the house unless something pushes it up, you know, higher up in the house. And we do have some forces with air movement that'll do that. Um, but to suggest that it's only a problem in the basement is, is not true. They have actually found high levels of it in the top of high-rise buildings. And at first they were like, how can this be? It comes up out of the ground. But a, a lot of our building materials are actually rocks that we ground up, you know, and we put into cement. And high-rises are typically made out of, out of uh, that material. So if it happens to be in that material, then it could actually be in, in any building that has that, that surface to it. Um, I actually talked with an anesthesiologist one time and he put in a granite countertop in his house, and he monitored the radon level. And he said from the time he put it in, his radon level continued to creep up and up and up and up. And then he determined, well, I better take that out, took it out, the level went back down. So though the ground is the most likely source of it, it is not the only source of it. So something like the a granite a countertop, is that something that can be sealed? Or was that just not produced properly? Or, or is that something we should be concerned about? Well, yes and no. So it goes back to not all of the ground has uranium in it. So so the issue is, does the piece of granite that you make into a countertop or something in your building, does that have uranium in it that's breaking down? So some people who, who sell those, those products actually now have Geiger counters that you can go out and you can actually test and see if there's radiation coming off of the piece of granite. If there isn't, then you're probably safe. If there is, you probably don't want that one in your house. Well, right, you know, the Geiger counter. Yeah, you know, just a little pun there, you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yes, yeah. yes. We always have to look at the lighter side of 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 of, <laughs> of, of how we can hurt ourselves in, in while designing our kitchen. That's, that's unbelievable, mm-hmm. <laughs> Kurt. Um, so... When you're saying so, it can move up into the house. Now, does that mean we have to do something special in, in the whole house, or how? How? What's kind of remediation? What can we be looking right. at? Okay. So, if if we're specifically and and I tend to look at air as as a whole, and there's many different things that can pollute it. But if we're specifically looking at radon, then then the two strategies that we have to deal with it are. Don't let it get in. If it does get in, then ventilate it out. And so if we're building a building, we can build it in such a way that we greatly reduce the likelihood that it's going to come into the house from the ground. If if we find out that it still is in there or we haven't built the house that way, the most effective way uh, that we found to get it out 
um, in many situations, but not all, is to drill a four-inch hole through the, the basement floor into hopefully the coarse aggregate that's underneath the house, put a pipe in it, put a fan on it, and essentially suck from underneath the house, trying to get the gas to go out through the fan and, and up out of the house through the top of the house through the pipe so that it doesn't get into the house. So they call that sub-slab mitigation um, or, or sub-slab depressurization, but it's an attempt to get it away from the house before it gets into the house. If that can't be effective, then the next best way is to is to ventilate uh, the house and specifically ventilate the basement so that as it's coming in, you're giving it a pathway out. So when you're, but so let's say you're doing new construction. Mm-hmm. Um, are you supposed to put slabs in, or or is that you know people say, well, that doesn't concern me. I already, I already have I have a concrete slab or something right. like that. What is there something to do? Is there a layer that we should have, or if you're building something new, or so ideally, yeah, you you try to make it difficult for the gas to to come up through. So so you put some type of what's called a vapor barrier. Uh, down to to make it more difficult for the gas to get past it. Now we are dealing with something that's incredibly small, okay. Um, and though we at times show a really good uh, effectiveness with the strategies that we take, uh, sometimes we test and we still find it in there. So um, it's it's a you know it's it's a protocol of trying to do what you can and. I think it's always smart to then test and make sure you've accomplished the goal. Because if you haven't gotten rid of it, then you still need to do something to get rid of it because it really is a threat to our health. So is there any safe level? No. no. Actually, there is no safe level. Um, breathing it in at, at very low levels, and it, it's one of the things that concerns me is is, is largely the, the chatter is if you get below certain rates that the EPA said we should shoot for, that if we're below that, we're safe. Um, right. I'm, I see that right here. Four. Um, it's yeah, Pico Curies per liter. Yes, ma- named after Madame Curie. And, That's correct. And sadly, yeah. yeah. So if, if you're a, you know, the action level that the EPA set years ago was four Pico Curies, that at this level, you should definitely do something about it. Unfortunately, it, it largely does not get interpreted that way. It gets interpreted, well, if you're round for, you're okay. And, you know, I I look at the statistics here, and I've got them both for whether you're a smoker or a non-smoker. If you're a um, non-smoker, you never smoked. At four, you have a one in in 142 uh, chance of getting lung cancer. And I know if that was the odds of the lottery... I would play every day because, to me, I would think those are good odds that at some point I'm going to win. Huh. Oh, <laughs> I get it. So, basically, it's terrible odds for your health. You need it's to do terrible something. terrible odds for your health. In right. fact, if commercially, if we were to look at a, some kind of a toxic substance and said, hey, look, one out of 142 people is going to get it exposed at this level, they would shut the business down. Right. And yet in our houses, because there are houses and the government can't shut our houses down, and that's why they came out with, hey, this is really dangerous. You should really do something about it. If, if you cut it in half, which most people, and, and even myself, I'll say, look, we should try to get it below two. We're still talking about one in 250 people are going to get lung cancer at that level. So are there parts of Maine that some places are more susceptible than others, or is this... A, na- a national issue? I see things in the U.K. Yeah, it's it's a worldwide issue. Some areas naturally have more of it in the ground than others. We are unfortunate that where we live, naturally occurring, it's all over the place. Um, the There's a map that's put out by the EPA that looks at the, the typical house and what it might have in it. And Bob Stilwell, who works for the state of Maine, who is the main radon director. Um, I was doing a presentation one time. I pointed to the map. And I said, hey, Bob, the, the whole map says, except for three counties, says that your average house is four picocuries or higher. I said, is the map right? He said, no, actually, it's not. He said, I didn't have enough time to get all the information to the EPA. He said the whole state should have been read. In other words, the average house you walk into, you can expect that the level's above four. 
Wow. And that's new construction and old construction. That's correct. It's a, it's a broad-based number. And, and he went on to say, we have houses in the state that have levels of 500 to 1,000. Wow. Wow. Now, we're talking about levels coming from, from the earth. Now, what about the water? Okay, right. Good point. So, so water, well water, the radon can be absorbed into the water, okay, or mixed in the water. And then when you, you know, dig a well like I have at my house, and then I bring that water into my house, and then uh, the particular concern is not necessarily drinking it. Uh, frankly, we don't know whether that's a problem or not, but we know for a fact that breathing it's a problem. Uh, when you're in your shower and that water is coming out of the spigot, it's, it's highly likely that a lot of that radon is now, you know, coming out of the water and it's getting back into the, uh, the air where we can breathe it. Um, so it could also be if you had a subslab, you still could have it introduced in your house because of what's in the ground around you by coming in through the water. So you're saying a slab can reduce that, reduce radon coming in to the house? Uh, a slab versus a basement, maybe. Yeah, it's kind of hard to say that that's true because, you know, if, if the slab is sitting on a piece of earth where the radon is naturally coming through, um, the fact that your slab is on top of the ground, not in the ground, um, I don't have any data that says that's particularly safer. Uh-huh, because that is one of the myths, I believe. Well, I think it is a myth. And, and when it comes down to something as serious as this, and I think it is serious, and, and it's so serious, we, we, the problem is we can solve the problem pretty easily. But if you don't perceive the problem as a big enough problem, you don't take it so seriously. So... Um, the perception is, oh, I do some things and I'm okay. And what we really need to do is actually to measure this thing, which is pretty inexpensive and pretty easy to do, and say, hey, am I actually as safe as I, I hope I am? And and that that's fairly easily done. If you've just tuned in, thank you. Um, we're going to come back right back to that. If you've just tuned in, um, I'm Rhonda Feynman, your host today on Healthy Options on WERU Community Radio. We're speaking with Kurt Johnson about indoor air quality, how it affects our health, and what we can do to make things better. Thank you, Kurt, for being here. And we are now getting to the point where we're saying radon is <clears throat> radon is in Maine. It's in our homes, and we can uh, we we need to deal with this. So I have a question and we're going to get to some specifics of what people can look at and do. So if let's say you're, you've had your house tested and it's fine. Should your neighbor be uh, um, comforted? (laughs) Oh, look, you know, Larry next door is fine and I'm next door. So I shouldn't do my house. Is that, you know, does does it work that way? (laughs) No, I think that's a really bad assumption. And and I'll give you an evidence when it, when it, we just talked about water, okay? I, I live on Poland. I'm on top of Shaker Hill. I have a well, and my well water is fine. It doesn't have any uh, significant levels of radon in it or uranium in it. Um, and I can drink the water, and I can let it come in my house. My neighbor, who lives about 300 yards away from me, he has so much uranium in his in his well water that he cannot use it um, in his house, and he gets 100 gallons a minute, um, but it, it is polluted from, from a uranium standpoint. And you can arguably say, because we're in Poland, we both have Poland spring water coming out of our wells, <laughs> but mine's okay and his isn't, okay? So, uh, wow. no, I think to assume that is, is putting yourself at risk. That is one of the, the radon myths, so yeah. there it is. Yeah, so when... So it's it's just based on the concentration in the particular area you're in, and and that's just how it is underground. And what about city water? Is that like in Belfast or Ellsworth or uh, you know, Bangor? I'm not an expert on city water, so I have to say that on front. But typically, okay. city water is treated. Um, and and I haven't heard that to be a big issue, but I, I honestly I'm not an expert on 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 that. Um, and and again, to test to test the water to test the air is reasonably inexpensive, and and it, it would be prudent for anybody 
you know, who's concerned about it. If you're not concerned about it, you should be. But if you're concerned about it, you should test it and make sure. So what's the, what are the kinds of tests? What, what, what do you recommend? Well, with, with, the, with the air, um, you, can, uh, you can buy a, a simple test uh, kit, uh, whether it be at a big box store or from, you oh. know, directly from a lab. We have a lab in the, in the state, Northeast Labs, that um, does radon sampling. You can call them up. They can send you out a test kit, and for typically a fee of somewhere between 30 and $40, they will uh, take the air sample. You take the tubes. You set it out for three days or four days. Close it up. You put it in an envelope. You send it to them. They send it through a radio spectrometer, and they'll tell you what the um, highest level of, of radon that was captured by the sample would be. Um, that's the least expensive way. It is a picture in time. There is evidence that shows that the level of radon can 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 ebb and flow. Okay, ah, different times of year, or that well, it could be, and it and it goes back to our behavior and what we do. Um, one of the things radon's always been here, uh, but what we've been doing with our buildings in the last twenty to thirty years by making them tighter and tighter and tighter um, has very likely increased our risk of the accumulation of it in our house, in our buildings. Um, in fact, the Maine Indoor Air Quality Council um, got a grant to do a study, in, and uh, we, we looked at about 100 houses and took radon uh, tests before, and then we, we sealed up the house. We did a weatherization of them, trying to make the houses more efficient, and at the end of the test results, what we found out is in some cases, we dramatically increased the radon level in the, in the house. Other cases, we didn't increase it much at all. But the overall data was it, it's more than likely you're going to increase the radon amount in the house if you, if you sealed the house tighter. Wow. So there are things that you have to do for new construction. And then there are also things that we have to do if we're renovating or, or improving the flow in an older home. When we start doing things to our, our even our old structures, uh, and we start changing some of the physics of what's been going on there, we may accomplish one thing, which is trapping heat energy, but we may unintentionally also trap something else that we really don't want to trap and don't realize that we are. So two things. First off, for those who just tuned in, um, we will get the information and it'll definitely be on the website uh, for the Northeast Lab so people can uh, get some of those um, tests and, and see in their, own, in their own living situation. I know there'll be instructions about how to do it properly. That's correct. Um, uh, but old str- structures that we're renovating to create um, be, to be more energy efficient, we have to not forget this, uh, that we have to create some airflow. What, 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 what can we do? What's... So, so there's, there's really a couple things you can do. Um, and, and we're, 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 we're going to migrate a little bit here to a broader category, which is indoor air pollutants. Radon is one, and it's a very significant one and a very serious one. Um, but when we're talking about now trapping things as, as we're making our buildings tighter, there's also a bunch of other things that oh. we are also trapping that no longer have an easy pathway out that may used to have an easy pathway out. Well, I definitely want to get to that, but I do want to, before we, before we I know we're going to come back to Radon as well and okay. the Northeast Lab, um, is there are different kinds of tests. There's a long-term one and a... And uh, do we do yep. follow-up tests? What, just, just let's talk about the testing for just a moment, and then I want to definitely go back into, into these larger categories of what else we need to be looking at for a safe, safe home. Okay, so, so if, you, if you talk to somebody, they'll say, well, you, you should test the lowest living area in your house and, and get a test. I'm, I'm going to give you my personal experience, and, and my personal experience came from Moving to Maine in 96, and a couple of years later, my boss saying, hey, I have a radon problem. Me going, radon? What's radon? I have no clue. Right. And, and he told me that, you know, it's a colorless gas, causes lung cancer, and he said, you should test your basement. And I, I lived in Gray at the time. I got one of the charcoal kits. I took a sample downstairs. I sent it off to the lab. The results came back about a week later, and my level was 14 and a half in my newly finished off playroom oh, for my no. kids down in my basement. That's very high for people who just tuned in. That's very high. Right. <laughs> right and, on. And I was 
not knowledgeable at the time, and I went, wow, 14 and a half, this thing says that this isn't good for me. Uh, how bad is it? And, you know, I'm a typical person. I, you, you don't okay, know. Do, do I tell everybody to get out of the house? I can't see it. I don't, you know, if it was black stuff on the walls, I'd probably be more, you know, concerned than I was with this thing I couldn't see. Odorless and tasteless. and Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, so a couple of years later, we, we moved. I live in Poland now. I've got a ventilation system. I'm assuming the air movement's taking care of radon. I finally test my downstairs, and I, I got a tester myself. I bought it online for about 160 bucks, and I set it up. Two days, I got a reading, and it was 5.7. Uh-oh. That's and still went, high. Yeah, I went, uh-oh. I was like, that's not what I was hoping for. I immediately took it. I put it in my kid's bedroom down there that I had finished off, and I ventilate, and the level was 1.9. And I was below two, and I went, okay, that's that's good. My kids are in there. They're... And then I took it, and I put it in my laundry room where my open sump pump hole is. And three days later, I came back and looked at it, and the reading was 75. Oh. So and different I, parts I, of the house. Yeah, and I looked at it, and I was kind of stunned. And and I looked at the hole, and I understood underneath my, my interior drains underneath the foundation, easy way for it to come in. I'm like, wow, man. I said, if I only took one test, I wouldn't have got a clear picture here. And right. then I took the tester and I put it up in my bathroom, which is right above that room. And if you've ever looked at the floor underneath your bathroom, there's all these big holes that the plumbers cut to put in your drains and everything under your shower and under your, your tub. And it, cause, so when I looked up, I'm like, wow, easy pathway up into my bathroom. And I took the reading up there, and it was 2.4 up in my, my master bathroom. Hmm. And that's, what do we consider that? We, well, that's I not consider a, it more dangerous than I want. That's what I consider. What do you, what would you, what's livable for you? What do you consider and recommend? Yeah, so I sealed the sump pump hole. I put a four-inch pipe into it. I put a fan into it to blow it outside. I run the fan all the time. My level in my basement now is 0.8. It's uh, below one. Okay. And that feels acceptable? It, outside levels are somewhere around 0.4. Okay. Okay, um, that's good to know. Just just walking around, we're exposed to radon. That's correct. That's okay. correct. Okay. So, you know, try, if you can get under one, again, no safe level, but you want to try to reduce your risk as much as possible. So is 2.4 okay? No. The EPA says that 2.5, you should seriously consider doing something about it because that's the danger level. And we can go back to the statistics. If you're a smoker at 2, 1 in 31 people get it because of the radon. If you're a non-smoker, 1 in 250 get it. That, that never smoked at 2. We're not talking about 2.4. So I look at it as a serious risk. And it is, and I we know um, in our community, uh, a very beloved member of our community died of lung cancer, and when we went to sell her house, it turns out it was four times uh, four times four in her water. Right. And um, even though she was a former smoker, I, I truly believe it was the radon that she didn't know was in her water that made her so sick. Right. And, and For 25 to- years of living in that home. Right. Right. According to the EPA, our risk here in Maine, we have twice as many people die from radon-caused lung cancer than the national average. So it's a problem in different areas of the country, but if we're going to look at, well, where do we know for sure it's a a problem, Maine and the Northeast is one thing we know for sure. So what you're recommending, and and we're going to go into other things as well, and other things in a home that we want to take a look at but in the radon you're you're saying to do it doesn't matter if it's a long-term test or short-term but you're recommending doing it in different parts of your home is what i'm hearing um yeah my recommendation and 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 the council we talk about this you know what's what's reasonable um and i think you always have to look at the the cost of doing a test and the danger that it presents i i think the danger is is enough that it's not unreasonable to test at least once a year, okay? Mm-hmm. And, the, and the cost of the test is, I mean, if you go to the doctor for a physical once a year, what do you spend, Five, $700? Right. If we're talking about something to make sure that this one thing that we know is so dangerous in our house is $40, 
to spend that a year, I mean, we, I, I think we can reasonably say, you know, that, that's pretty reasonable to spend that each year to, to just keep an eye on it. Right. Um, and, and I think, you know, in, in my case, and I've seen this now in different houses, that, that testing one spot in the house may or may not give you an accurate picture in time, but you have to reasonably look at it. It is a picture in time. It's one photo in one moment of time. Do you recommend the short test that go through three or four days or long term, which you, you know, three months or is there any particular, you know, not that we, we advocate or, or recommend any particular brands or anything, but is there things that you find more efficient and effective for a lay person um, versus a professional? Or if you're selling your house, I think there's some guidelines. How, how would that all work? Right. So, so I, I think, I think it's reason that the, the the short test, you know, gives you an idea of what ballpark you're in. Okay. And I would recommend to anybody to do a radon test. If you've never done one, do a radon test. If it's been five years since you've done one, do a radon test. And that's in the basement usually. Do we do, do the lowest area within the warm envelope of the house? Okay. And the reason I say that is. You want to test the area that's most likely to have it, okay, because it gives you a starting point of what's going on. And if it's within the framework of your house, even if you say, well, it's a basement, I don't go down there. As a a ventilation expert and somebody who understands airflow, I can tell you that basement air migrates up into the house. There are natural forces, especially this time of year, that will push that air up into your house. And so measuring it down there will give you some kind of an idea of what level's coming into your house. From If it's 20, I would tell you that it's serious and you should definitely, you know, find a solution for it. If it's 4, I would still tell you it's serious and you should, you should do something about it. Right. And then the long-term ones, do you feel the that they're long, more accurate? Or? Yeah, so the long-term one then is, okay, over time, what's going on? Is, is it changing? There's some studies show that Within a given range, it can go up at different periods of time. Different weather conditions go down. Obviously, if you're if in our cold climate that we're in, if your house is closed up for six, eight months out of the year, okay, you're more likely to capture it than, than in the summertime when your windows are open. Right. That's assuming that you open up a bunch of windows, and my experience is a lot of people don't do that. It open the windows. That was my next question. Should we ventilate our basements in the summer or when, when it's warmer? Well. Does that we help at all or is that not? We should ventilate our, our basements all the time. Uh-huh. And we okay. should do that because of radon, because of moisture, and because of other things that are, are likely in there that are a threat to us. So the problem with basements are windows are typically small and not opened up in a basement. So typically basements are not ventilated. Even when they're finished off, people don't think about a strategy to ventilate those rooms. So we should be thinking about that. If we think the people that live down there are important, I would say yes. Okay. Right. So is there a state law? Do you know about this? When selling a home, do you have to do a radon test? Do we have to? My understanding is there's not a state law that forces it. If if the buyer requests it, then then it's, it's going to be done, and it should be done. And if I was the buyer, I would always request it because I don't want to buy a house that has a known problem, and this is a problem we can we can know about pretty easily. Right. So, yeah, and, of course, you can use that to bargain about how this, you know, you can, it's, 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 it's good information for your own health, and then if that's your the house of your dreams, take it into consideration and, and work with it that way. Yeah, I mean, that the house of your dream should not become the house of your nightmares. Well, there it is. That's the st- <laughs> that's on the website now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Kurt, we have a new, a, new, a new catch-all phrase. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that's terrible. All right. So uh, that's, that's, really, that's really good to, to remind people. So, all right, so once you found this, I mean, how, how can you remedy this? What, what do you do? Okay, so a professional radon abater, okay, or remediator, who is trained and, and knows you can hire him to come in. Um, 
he's going to need to do a little bit of, of, of research asking about the property. And, and so if you've got an old basement that's uh, 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 a, a, a hard-packed floor, you don't have cement, and you got some ledge in there, it becomes more complicated. If you got a newer house and you got cement underneath, they poured gravel, they can they can put in the they drill the four inch hole, they put in the pipe, they put a fan on it, they blow it outside, and then you test and make sure you accomplish the goal. Okay. And in some cases it reduces it uh, significantly, but still does not get it down low enough. And there's been times when I've been called in where, okay, we did sub-slab, it reduced it from 20 down to, to 8 or, or 4, and that's all we can do. Can you come in and ventilate now in the basement and, and get that number lower? So sometimes it's, it's a, a multiple of strategies to, again, accomplish the goal, which is to get it at, at a, a low level. Okay, so, so now we have it at a lower level and we have to maintain their pumps and things. Are these moving parts? Are, there, are these passive or active? What's the, what do you know? Uh, typically, with, with what we've been talking about is an active system, a system that's making sure that there's airflow and making sure that the radon is being picked up. Um, in the state code, there is um, a a basic um, option of putting in a straight pipe down through the foundation, up through the the, the roof uh, that they call a passive system, that natural stack effect will move air up through that tube. Um, having said that, I have yet to see any quantified studies or whatever that shows how effective and reliable it is. I've had people tell me that, yeah, I can definitely feel a bunch of air coming up there. Um, but that would be reasonable to be done in any house that's being built because it's pretty inexpensive to put a, a four-inch piece of PVC sub-slab all the way up through the roof. Mm. And, and then leaving a space with an electricity available, typically in the attic, where if you test and find out that the level's undesirable, that you then put in the active fan and you make the system now active, and it then again test and make sure that you've accomplished the goal. Okay, and and in an old house, the retrofitting you're mm-hmm. you're doing well now. That would probably be the active, more of an active system for sure, is what you yeah, described. Yeah, in an older house, I, I would think that to to go through the effort of, of putting a pipe in to spend the three hundred dollars or so on on a fan um, would be a reasonable part of the process. Okay. For those of you who just tuned in, um, we are, uh, this is Healthy Options. I'm Rhonda Feynman, and our guest today is Kurt Johnson, an indoor air quality specialist, and we're discussing the dangers of radon and how it affects our health and what we can do to make it better. And we'll have uh, on the, we've mentioned some uh, kinds of testing and, and places you can go to get the test, and also if you're selling, we'll we have a lot of things that'll be on the on the archives and in the on our website too that you can <clears throat> get more information about this. Um, we also talked about uh, well, we started to talk about some of the other aspects of home indoor indoor quality, and we were starting to get into that uh, molds you were saying and mm-hmm. those kinds of things. What maybe we can talk about that general so, air so quality. When I talk to people, you know, whether it be, you know, for my business or, or, or a member of the council, um, awareness of the dangers of indoor air pollutants are basically the, the level of awareness is just not there publicly. And I'm not talking about specifically in Maine. I'm talking about worldwide. Um, we, we, can, we can go to the EPA's website on indoor air quality. We can go to the World Health Organization's website and, and look at this, and, and we can see that there is an existing public health threat that is so significant that authorities are trying to figure out how do we um, educate the general public of how much of a danger this is. And the challenge of it is it's largely an invisible thing that we're dealing with. Right. And, and unless you have black mold growing where you see it. <laughs> right, 
Right, and you see the black mold, but you don't necessarily see the stuff floating in the air, right. the, the particles of the mold or the mycotoxins that the mold's creating as it's growing that actually are the things that are affecting the people. So you get to see the mold. That's, you, know, you see that, you go, oh, my word, mold, but you actually don't see the thing that, that's getting into you that's suffering. So, well, What's a, mycot- my, a microtoxin for those who may not yeah, know? Yeah, a mycotoxin is growing organisms as they're producing. You know, we're, we're, we're a living organism, right? When, yes. When, when we eat and we breathe, we produce things that our bodies is a problem for our bodies. So, you know, if, if we're talking about ventilation, my lungs are actually important, number one, to get the good stuff in that I need to combust uh, fuel and give me energy. But at the same time I'm combusting, I'm creating things that if I don't get rid of those, they actually hurt me. And, and my father died from Lou Gehrig's disease, and the reason he died was because his lungs failed him. His ventilators stopped working properly. Mm. And he could not get rid of moisture quick enough and moisture became an issue to the point where he got pneumonia, but other toxins were also building up in his body. The, the lungs is the body's way of getting out those, those toxins that we create inside of us, and it's necessary that, with, that we get that out. When we exercise and we increase activity, our lungs increase their activity because we're creating more pollutants. We also have other things in the body that need to get rid of waste that we have because if it stays in the body, we become toxic. Mm-hmm. When, when we talk about our living spaces, we have to realistically look at our living spaces and say, hey, the same thing's going on in our living space. And the tighter and tighter and more efficient we make it so that air does not leak out and in, we trap all those things in, and now we rebreathe those over and over and over again. That overall is a huge problem worldwide. And, and the average person is not aware of how much of a threat it is. Um, but we're talking about benzene, carbon monoxide, formaldehyde, naphthalene, polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, radon, trichloroethane. You know, th- these components that are coming out of products that we bring into our houses that we're not even thinking about, hey, I just brought in a new bookshelf that's made of compressed wood that's glued together. Right. And formaldehyde's coming out of that thing, and I never thought about it when I bought it because I bought it on eBay and I paid ten bucks for it. And I put it in, and I just put a pollutant into my house that I never even considered was a pollutant. Right. So Mm -hmm. those are the types of things I try to get people to be aware of. That you know, it's 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 important that we save energy. I, I don't disagree with that whatsoever. But to me, what's more important is that we don't sacrifice our health in the process of doing that. And the evidence is overwhelming that worldwide we are doing this to ourselves. Mm. What the is World that? Health Organization, about four years ago, they, they have a subdivision that's called the uh, International Cancer Research Institute, and they made a joint statement. We said we've got enough evidence to know now that 80% of our diseases are not genetic, they're environmentally caused. We are doing it to ourselves. So in Maine, we do use a lot of wood stoves. People heat with wood. Is there anything you recommend for people with wood as well? I mean, we can go into I want to talk about some of the other things you've mentioned yeah. too, but just I know a lot of our listeners are going to be doing that, and it just occurred to me. So, so combustion components, when you, when you combust wood, you create gases and particles that are a danger to people. In fact, we see this exacerbated in, in a fire when somebody's in a house. They don't burn to death. They die first from the smoke that they breathe in. Right. Okay. The, the EPA back in the 70s came out with the Clean Air Act, and they started to, to go after factories that were sending plumes of smoke into the air because downstream from those, those plumes, they saw that disease was at a far higher rate than it was in areas that didn't have that. Pittsburgh was one of the areas that that was highlighted. So when we're talking about combustion and we're talking about in our living spaces, we are realistically putting into our living spaces those components into our house. Now, if I'm burning next door to somebody else and it's migrating into their house, 
then, yeah, and I know in Maine that that becomes an arguing point of, well, wait a second, I have a right to burn, I have the right to breathe. Whose rights trump whose rights? You know, and and that becomes an argument. I would say that, hey, we should be concerned about each other, and we should start thinking about that maybe at a better level than what we have. Combustion has been an issue for thousands of years. People have suffered from breathing in those components Third world countries today have very high death rates because of the open combustion in the places that they live. Right. Well, in in Chinese medicine, we say that uh, the lungs are the tender organ. Mm-hmm. We say that's the expression of our connection from the inside of ourselves to the outside of ourselves. That's correct. And so here it is. And the... what we breathe in has direct access to our bloodstream. To everything. We are speaking with Kurt Johnson, past president and current board member of the Maine Indoor Air Quality Control. I'm Rhonda Feynman. You're listening to Healthy Options on Community Radio WERU. We're discussing all about indoor air quality. I want to talk about the mold and, and some of those other things that you mentioned. You can perhaps in the last few minutes, we, we have we have some time, um, talk about some of the other things that you were talking about, the... I, there was a whole list. <laughs> Arsenic. Well, well, and that's part of the problem. I mean, we can talk about specific pollutants. Um, honestly, we could be here the rest of the day and into tomorrow. And, right. And, but there are certain ones that do, you know, are, are, are worthy because they're creating more problems than other ones. And certainly mold and moisture within our buildings is, is, is a big problem. It's a problem for the structure. It's a problem for the structure because the, the molds, that like to eat cellulose, wood, okay, they grow and they can definitely damage the structure. As they're growing, what they produce and release into the air becomes a dangerous thing for the inhabitants of the structure. Some people are more susceptible than others. And in Maine, we have one of the highest asthma rates in the country. And it's very expensive for the state to have so many people having asthma issues because those people end up in hospitals, they need medical care, and and that medical care, I mean, we're talking about in 2007, I think it was uh, close to $60 billion in our country, what we spent on asthma. Mm. So it's, 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 it's expensive, it impacts the families, and we have a fairly high level of it with our young people and our young people, our kids, our young kids are very susceptible at those early ages to those things that actually cause asthma. And for years we suspected mold to be a causer and within the, the, the last 10 years the medical community finally says, yeah, okay, we've seen enough data, mold causes asthma. So what do we do? Well, so <laughs> ah, it's yeah, so, so you, you manage mold. Mold is everywhere. Mold spores are everywhere. You can't eradicate mold because as soon as you bring in what it needs to grow, which basically everything else is present other than moisture, when moisture accumulates, it sits on a surface for 24 to 48 hours, the mold spores that are there uh, start finding the right circumstance to grow, and they start growing. So the way to manage mold growth is to manage moisture. And okay. one of our, our founding principles in the council is to, to talk about keeping our houses dry, making sure that moisture doesn't migrate in from the outside. And in our residential construction program, we teach builders what processes to do to reduce the likelihood that moisture will migrate in. You know, when I was in get, getting trained in Canada, um, they largely build on slabs up there, and I kind of raised my hand, the only American in the class. I said, you guys build on slabs? They're like, yeah, we don't dig a hole in the ground and wonder why it fills with water like you Americans. <laughs> and I kind of scratched my head and went, yeah, we do do that. That is kind of dumb, isn't it? Interesting. So, so, you know, you can dig a hole in the ground, and we found it a way to build, and it's space down there, but it is a hole in the ground that moisture, by gravity, wants to fill the hole. So the, the, 
the when you construct that, you try to do things to make sure that that moisture is shed away and does not come into the space. You keep it dry. And then when you have outside influences that in the summertime, warm, moist, moist air might come in, it might look for that cool spot in the basement to condense and then grow stuff. Then you may need some way to actively dry it, which, you know, a dehumidifier may be needed if there's enough moisture and there's enough cool surface. So how we address mold is to keep things dry, and how we do that is usually a, a couple of different strategies to accomplish accomplish the goal. So, if so, obviously, if someone has something growing, you have to do a pretty serious eradication, don't wouldn't you? Don't people do different kinds of ways of killing it, and in addition to in addition right, to what you're right. talking about? Well, you're right. So if you've got mold growing in your house, you get the most caustic cleaner that you can and you spread it all over your house to kill the mold. Okay, I'm obviously joking. Please don't ha, anybody ha, ha. do that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> don't do that. Something Not... that is designed to kill a living organism, we right. have to remember that we are a living, living organism. organism. Okay. And don't though, do that. Kurt says don't do it. Okay. And though bleach is is typically recognized and used as, oh, that's a great cleaner. Breathing in chlorine gas is very bad for us. Right. And and though grandma used to do it and mom used to do it, we should stop doing that. So to to deal with mold growth, if it's on the surface, a solution of 50% white vinegar and water is very effective in cleaning it up. You cannot eradicate mold spores because the next time you open up the window or the door, they're going to come in. Okay. So you clean up what you see. If it's been there for a while and it's actually its roots and everything have made its way into either the piece of wood or the piece of sheetrock or whatever, then at that point it's probably reasonable to take that infiltrated thing, whatever it is, and get it out of the living space and replace it with something that's not infiltrated. Okay. Now, in terms of people using um, uh, insulation, are there uh, some materials that are more prone to things like mold? Or, I mean, we used to use fiberglass. Do we still do that? Is that useful? Or what other materials would be less prone? Well, yeah, and some, sometimes the material itself is, is not necessary. It may not support growth of mold. Mold likes to eat cellulose. Ah. Okay. And and outside, it's really good that it does that because otherwise we'd have trees up to our, you know, above our <laughs> right. houses because they wouldn't go away. Um, but obviously, we build out of wood, so the mold likes to eat the cellulose. You can you can put in fiberglass that does not eat fiberglass, but the problem with with any material, it can capture on its surface cellulose or or body skin or whatever things that actually will support mold growth. So the material itself may not be susceptible to the growth, but it may be susceptible if things get trapped on it that it does like to eat. So I've seen mold growing on things that, you know, have been promoted. Well, you know, mold won't grow on this, and, and I've seen it growing on it because the thing captured something that the mold could eat. Wow. So this is we're just taking a moment to uh, to, to absorb all of this. Yep. So we have we know that there have been many hurricanes and in Puerto Rico and Florida. So we would say that the hurricane damage, people have to get things down to the studs, I would imagine, because... Oh, of- yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, Superstorm Sandy and any any incident like that where everything gets wet, uh, they, they have a fairly short window that if they can't dry, um, and then, then you're definitely going to have growth and, and, you know, that can cause... Uh, huge, huge damage to the structure, and certainly create a unhealthy living situation. And uh, it could, you know, becomes very expensive to deal with it. Mm. Uh, but and it's a problem. Yeah. So in Maine, many people, especially in older homes, have forced, for, forced air heating systems. Do you have any recommendations, like all the ducts and such that's all over the house? Is there something someone can do to pre- protect themselves from different contaminants or? Air, you know, that that is circulating throughout the house. Yeah. Okay. So you kind of threw something out there. So so old ductwork. It, it sounds like you're asking me, does stuff get caught in the ductwork that then if mm-hmm. we blow it around the house is a problem? Yes. 
Okay. Um, yes, when you have ductwork in a house that's been there for a long period of time and air has been moving through it, debris has accumulated in there. Um, I would say if it stays dry in there, it's probably not a big health risk. When, when we hear these stories about Legionnaire's disease, where yes. they do blow air and then people get sick, in those systems are, are a place, typically the air conditioning or the condensing tray, where water is sitting. And then because the water's there, things have grown in that space. And then when we turn on the air, the air picks that up and blows that out on people. Hmm. And in Maine, I would say that that's in residentially, um, that's not a huge problem because typically our heating systems are not also air conditioning systems. If you happen to have one, it's something you need to be aware of. But the old heating system, though it may have a bunch of dust and, and dirt in it, um, my experience, and, and there's not a lot of them out there that I've run into, but they're out there. Um, I don't see the water component in there that's generating a huge problem for those people. But if there is something in there that water could be sitting, that to me, again, mold wants the water to grow. Okay. And if you have a, a moisture source, then you certainly need to, okay. to deal with the moisture. Pay, it, pay attention. It comes, comes back to moisture. So we only have a couple of minutes left. Uh, Kurt Johnson, is there anything that, that you just want to say or inform people about? I, we've, we've done we, – we've only scratched the surface, as yeah. it were. Yeah, well. <laughs> we'll well, have to have you back. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'd love to, have to come back. Yeah, I, there's a couple of things. The, the council has been in place since the late 90s. And, and that's the... the the main indoor air quality council, right? And we're we're a um, a public health group that that's a diversity of, of 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 different occupations. Okay, and our main focus is trying to educate uh, people about the danger of indoor air pollution. And we were actually the result of a task force set up by the governor at the time, saying, "Hey, how important is this issue?" And the task force came back and said, this is really important, and somebody needs to try to educate the public. And the state said, well, we don't think it should be a government entity. We'll make a nonprofit. And and, and we struggle financially because we're small, but our message is so important. And and so we, we do different things to try to get the message out. We, we have an annual conference in, in Portland that we try to educate professionals about how to do stuff, how to deal with you know, answering some of the questions that you asked me is, well, how, how do we get answers on how to solve these problems? Well, number one, you have to understand it. Number two, then you have to develop strategies to deal with it. And the council does that. Um, so we have a conference coming up in May May 1st and 2nd. Um, 2018. Which, 2018, which is down at the, the Holiday Inn in Portland. Um, but this year we're doing something different. We're doing a live streaming event. So you don't even have to go there to participate. You can actually stay home and, and pick it up on your computer and watch wow. the whole event from home. Uh, in fact, no matter where you are in the world, you'll be able to do that. And That's we're trying great. to get the message out. We also run some local events. We have a, um, In January, we have a 5K, which is specifically designed to, to bring uh, radon awareness out. And it's an indoor 5K, because who wants to run outside in January? <laughs> On skis. <laughs> right. So so we have that on uh, January 21st at Bates College, and we, we do that to try to raise some funds to actually put in some radon mitigation uh, systems in houses we know have problems and the people don't that, have the means to pay for it. Kurt, this is so great. Maybe we can put this on the website. I, you can see that yep. uh, we're running out of time. Yep, yep. Um, and how can we reach you at the uh, council? Uh, org. That's great. Thank you so much. Um, our guest on Healthy Options today has been Kurt Johnson, the past president and current board member of the Maine Indoor Air Quality Council. He's a certified residential mechanical 
ventilation designer and installer, and his website is freshairventilation.com. Thank you so much, Kurt Johnson, for being on Healthy Options today. If you missed any part of this program or would like to share it, please go to our online streaming at recent programs w, at weru.org. After that, you can look for it on the public affairs archives at weru.org. Thanks, John Goodman, for engineer. I mean, Greenman, Greenman. I do this every time. Thanks, John Greenman, for engineering, and to Petra Hall for production assistance. And as always, thanks to all of our WERU listeners and supporters. This is Rhonda Feynman. Wishing you the very best of health. Thank you. Think about the towns you admire as a resident, a visitor, a business owner, or customer. What are the elements in their success, and what role does a thriving Main Street or downtown play in their story? This is Ron Beard, host of Talk of the Towns. Vital communities don't just happen. They're the result of creativity, passion, and hard work coordinated through a strategy of downtown revitalization. There are challenges aplenty, including the role of online shopping and demographics. But Bucksport, Blue Hill, and Ellsworth have each tackled those challenges and have learned from the network of successful downtown efforts across the state and the nation. Make a note to join us as we learn about their strategies, challenges, and successes. Share your own insights, experience, and questions in our live and lively radio conversation. That's Friday morning, December 8th from 10 to 11, when the talk of the towns is revitalizing our downtowns, only on WERU Community Radio, 89.9 FM in Blue Hill, 99.9 in Bangor, and throughout small towns and large all over the planet at weru.org. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from Penobscot Bay Press, committed to providing community news and information, publishing three weekly newspapers, the weekly packet Island Advantages, the Castine Patriot, the annual Bay Community Register, the Summer Seasonal Guide, and more, also on the web at penobscotbaypress.com. You are listening to Community Radio.